Sego. I'm John Kane, and this is Resistance Radio. I want to thank you for joining me. Uh, look, we are not airing in New York City this week, um, but I am Facebook live streaming, so uh, people can t- catch the show no matter where you're at. We are uh, airing in, uh, in Washington on WPFW, so let me give a shout-out to that radio listening audience in Washington and, uh, and remind them that we are listener-supported radio and... Uh, and ask and hope that you will contribute to this fine station. Um, if not for giving me space to do my show, but just for being uh, just a, a, um, an asset to the community in general. Um, that uh, pledge line is 202-588-9739. That's 202-588-9739. Or you can go online and go to wpfwdc.org slash donate and make a contribution of any size Anything you can give and, uh, you know, encourage others to do it. And look, there's, there's usually, you know, tote bags and, uh, and, and certain uh, gifts that we give for, for donations. You can become a, um, uh, a member of the station, essentially, by, uh, by reaching a certain contribution level. You can become a, uh, a sustaining member or donate, a donor of the station by uh, giving up either your, a credit card uh, number or checking account number so you can make a weekly, con- or a, I'm sorry, a monthly contribution. Uh, no fuss, just it'll, it'll come out every month and it, it doesn't have to be a great, uh, a great sum of money, but uh, all of those monthly donations add up for us, especially you know, when we're not doing a specific fund drive. So, all right, so I got a tough conversation to have. Um, and, and it's one I'm not entirely comfortable having. I, so it's not just tough because it's going to, uh, you know, challenge uh, everybody. But in a way, I guess it does. So there's a, there's a phrase that has become uh, commonplace in, uh, in conversations about Native people, um, some people passing as Native people, fakes, frauds. Um, and and it's, uh, it's, the word is pretendians. It's obviously taking the word pretend and Indian and merging it together. Um, but you know, there's there's a lot of examples of people who, um, who who have fraudulently claimed to be native people, and for a variety of reasons. You know, look, according to the to the U.S. Census uh, that was done in 2020, the native population from 2010 had increased by something like 87 percent, which is impossible. I mean, it, it's just impossible for our population to have grown that dramatically in 10 years. What it really represents is more and more non-native people, uh, predominantly white people, but not only white people, um, who are uh, claiming native ancestry, or that you know when they because nobody checks it. There's no proof when you when you fill out your form for the census. If you fill it out, I'm not one of those who does. But uh, if if you if you cooperate with the U.S. Census, um, most of the stuff you just answer whatever you want to answer. And and look, there are a lot of people in the in the uh, Latinx. Hispanic, Latino community that have every right to to list themselves as indigenous or or native because if if because in all likelihood you are I mean you just like native people have been assimilated towards towards speaking English many uh, you know people from from Central South America um, uh, North America including Mexico um, have been conditioned to speak Spanish. So it doesn't make you Spanish because you speak the language any more than it makes me English to speak the language. But we also have a lot of white people because of this Ancestry.com, you know, and 23andMe, 
you know, people who have spit in a bottle, sent it in and said, oh, look, I've got, you know, some trace amount of, of Native American blood in me or DNA in me. And so they, in spite of it being a trace amount, they, they feel compelled to, to um, either exploit it or, or at least um, claim it as, as a significant portion of who they are. Um, but for most of the, the most of this pretendians thing and and the uh, and what has now become waves of organizations that are trying to flesh out um, uh, fakes and frauds. Um, but where where most of it comes from is this idea that there's been authors who have written books uh, claiming to be native people and then they don't. So they sell a book. You know that is being passed off as being written by a native author when they're not. There, there are people who've made taken positions in, in at universities, uh, sometimes you know teaching in universities, or and have used you know a native identity to for, to check a box so they can say that they've you know, they, they've got a native professor or a native faculty. Um, there are certain jobs that people have gotten specifically, or they've gotten jobs ahead of what I would consider legitimate legitimate native people. Um, because they they can make the claim now, and this is where it gets tough. Look, in my life, when I get introduced to somebody or somebody introduces themselves to me and they tell me that they're native, my immediate reaction is to take them at face value. And now I don't launch into um, you know into an interrogation, but it's part of our culture to, to to ask where you're from and who's your family. I mean that's just and that's not an interrogation. That's just part of the way that we introduce, and, and many cultures do that, right? I mean, who's your family, you know? And, and so oftentimes you can, you can kind of eliminate those people who either through family lore or through spitting in a tube um, <laughs> or where, however they do that, um, have determined that they have some native ancestry. Yeah, and of course, if you do a, a 23andMe or an Ancestry.com um, uh, submission, they can't tell you what... Um, what nation you're from or what peoples you're from. They can't. I mean, and in fact, the, the, the blood quantum or DNA quantum is, uh, is sketchy at best. And, and oftentimes, it's hard to really call it any kind of accurate representation. But you know, so be it. We also have many, many people who, whose family lore suggests that their grandmother was a Cherokee princess or that they were from this place or that place. And um, and. That family lore finds its its place in in generations of people who may not have any idea who the native people are that their family lore suggests they are somehow associated with, and there's never been necessarily an attempt to become a part of a, commu a community of those of the people that that you are allegedly associated with. And for me, I look at a person who is a part of a native community. And that doesn't mean they necessarily live on native territory because many people have, have, for a variety of reasons, have had to leave their territories to pursue jobs or careers or, you know, or, or whatever. Um, we have a lot of native people who, you know, a husband might be from, from one uh, native peoples and the wife might be from another. There's also a lot of race mix, mixing. There's, there's, you know, a lot of intermarrying with, with, with black folks and, and with white folks and, uh, and brown folks and, 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 and all of that stuff. And there always has been. Sometimes it was not necessarily, um, you know, through uh, what I would say was, was proper permission. There was no, uh, consent is a whole other issue when you're talking about 
how many slaves were were, were raped, black and native, and 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 how native women were essentially used as essentially broodmares for for the uh, for the domestic slave trade for the chattel slavery industry. You know, you would they would bring men on the ships from Africa or from South America. But they figure, well, we, we can just use, you know, whatever women we have available here. And, and Native women were enslaved as well. So there, there's a lot of race mixing. There, and there was also, you know, the, the rape culture that came from, uh, from Europe that would oftentimes um, lead to, you know, mixed, uh, mixed people, Native on, you know, on a mother's side, um, which is, since we're a matrilineal system, uh, many of us, many of our territories, that if your if your mother's line maintained a certain uh, you know uh, in, uh, I guess uh, I don't know how to say it uh, ancestral integrity I guess um, then you could oftentimes be enrolled. Now this is a whole other issue because when we talk about enrollment, we're talking about getting your name on a list that the federal government you know may or may not be involved with. So you, you have this, what I call FedREC, and I spell it F-E-D-W-R-E-C-K, because I'm, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of the, the federal recognition process, because what began as recognition of nations and where we were actually treaty parties, or partners, I guess, and, and I use that term with, with some chagrin, um, where we were recognized as distinct sovereign entities that, that had the... Um, international standing to to participate in treaty making. I mean, and and that's and it has to be that way. Otherwise, why would there even be these treaties? Now, I'm not saying they weren't all abrogated or broken, or that there was fraud committed in uh, in not just the negotiation, but the the whole intent. We and I've talked about this as it relates to the doctrine of Christian discovery. If you've got Presidents from from Thomas Jefferson, you know, through Andrew Jackson and and, and others that were uh, hell bent on taking our lands under the doctrine of Christian discovery, then what merit did any of the treaties that, that that the United States ever entered into with Native people have? If the underlying codified belief in land title was that we didn't have any. And that the doctrine of Christian discovery deprived us of, of having land title. And that only this, the, the discovering, not conquering, but the discovering nations, the Christian nations of Europe could claim title. So it, it, it questions the whole treaty, the, the whole idea of treaty making. But there's no question that the United States, and frankly some of its member states, were entering into treaties with Native people to legitimize a land transfer or to leg legitimize some relationship with, with, with the native peoples. And you know, regardless of whether they, or how soon they would be broken, they, they were entered into. So th this notion that, that we were recognized as distinct native peoples, and in many ways, we're still recognized as distinct native peoples by the vast majority of, uh, of people throughout the world. But then we get into this thing, well, what does it mean to be federally recognized? Well, in 1934, the United States revamped this whole idea of what an Indian was. And they defined a recognized tribe as a tribe, band, or nation of Indians subordinate to the laws of the United States. Well, but you recognized all of those nations that you had treaty obligations with, 
And they never submitted to this idea that they were subordinate to the laws of the United States. So you have hundreds of native peoples, nations, tribes, and I'm, none of these words quite fit, but you have, you have hundreds, you know, you, close to 500 um, distinct groups of native peoples that the United States reduced their standing when they said, okay, now when we, rec we say we recognize you, you, we're recognizing you as subordinate to us. Ironically, and I mentioned this on, on a previous show, Thomas Jefferson, when he sent Lewis and Clark on their expedition to look at the land he, he supposedly bought from the French, he also sent them with a mission to tell any Native people he encountered that they were now living in a new nation, the United States of America. I mean, that must have just fallen on their ears like, what are, what are these crazy white people saying? And because they, wasn't, they weren't at the, at the point of... of necessarily having hostile relations with, with every person that they ran into, but it would be the beginning of that. So there would be, you know, again, you know, hundreds of, of native territories or native peoples that, that the United States recognized as treaty part, uh, partners, essentially, that, but then would reduce their standing to say, well, we, we recognize you, but only domestically. We recognize you as a, as a group of native people that are, you know, subordinate to our laws and our constitution. Even if we never agreed to that, that's the, that's the way the federal government recognizes so-called tribes. Now, there are some territories that never had any documentation. There are some peoples that never had any documentation about they didn't have a treaty necessarily. And so where did they stand? Well, through the process of what was called termination, which was this idea that you could say that those people no longer existed, so we're not going to recognize this nation or that nation or that tribe or this people, that kind of thing. And, and of course, you also had the, the United States manipulating uh, these nations. I, mean, I, I think about the, the Oneida Nation. There's the Oneida Nation of New York, and then there's the Oneida Tribe in Wisconsin, and then there are Oneidas who live on the Ontario, in Ontario. Um, so are they one people? Well, uh, culturally, yes, but as, as far as the federal government and, and, and the U.S. and Canadian government are concerned, yeah, there, there's two Oneida nations in the U.S. side and one Oneida nation on, in the, on the Canadian side. In Mohawk territory, for Mohawk territory, it, as far as the United States is concerned, there's one Mohawk nation, the St. Regis Mohawk tribe. And all of the other uh, Mohawks, uh, or people who are Gunyagahaga, who live in other places who are associated with, with other territories and are not a part of the St. Regis Tribal Council or tri, you know, that, that, you know, that tribe, um, the United States doesn't, I, I, I'm one of those people. My, my family is from Gunawage. So, and I don't carry a band card on the Canadian side either because of what it represents. So I am not considered a federally recognized quote unquote Indian. I am not a part of, I, I don't, I don't really participate in the, the band council in Gonawage, and I'm not a part of the, the St. Regis Tribal Council. I, I'm more associated with the, with the longhouses that are not federally recognized as nations. I mean, even Onondaga, which is federally recognized, uh, and again, recognized as subordinate to the laws of the United States, and they operate supposedly, you know, through their, their longhouse, their, their traditional governance, and, and, and the same claim is made by Tuscarora and Tonawanda. Um, that doesn't mean that they recognize all six nations. 
they recognize those three as a so-called traditional form of government. So again, it gets really awkward when we talk about letting the federal government determine who the the leadership is. I mean, this this played out and, and proved to you know to be very controversial in Oneida when Ray Halberter gained federal recognition and withstood some challenges. Um, that is still playing out in Cayuga territory, it's in, uh, in the Finger Lakes area of central New York, where there's a battle over who is legitimately the leader of the, uh, and the determination gets made by the federal government, not by the people. And, you know, and, and, and if they put together a process, it's their process, and it might involve voting, which, which many traditional people don't participate in voting. So it's a, it's a real, it, it, it has a potential for real chaos. And of course, there are many Native peoples who, who would love to be state recognized or federally recognized because they really have nothing to cling to other than their, their history, which to me is plenty. And we don't have a process amongst Native people where we afford recognition as, a, uh, as another nation. We don't do that. In fact, too often we, we see um, a nation that says, well, we only go by who, who the federal government recognizes. I mean, so that ends up being a standard that shouldn't be. And, and so th this is where it's, it's very, very difficult. So if we only let the, the federal government through their recognition process, or in some cases, state governments, because there are in some territories, including in, in New York here, a couple of nations that are only state recognized, but not federally recognized. And that may be a process yet to, uh, that they may go, go through yet, or it may not. But, you know, lying at, uh, at the bottom of all this are certain things that a federally recognized tribe can do that, a, uh, that if you're not federally recognized, you can't do, including things like gaming. And I'm not saying that every nation wants to do gaming. They certainly don't. Uh, but some, depending on where they're located, that may be the most viable way to fund their governmental operations and, and you know, provide their, their public finance. So, so it, gets, it gets really awkward. And, and even when the, a group of Native people go through this process, they have to somehow prove to the federal government that, the, that they want to exist. And, and of course, then the leadership is a secondary question. But the pretendian thing is not usually about that. Like I said, it's usually about somebody who is a, uh, who's tried to advance themselves in the name of being a Native person. And, and, and the list is pretty long. And unfortunately, because of the length of the list, there have, been, there, there have been an increasing number of people who have dedicated their lives to creating these lists. And, and I'm not suggesting all the lists are accurate or, or, or legitimate, but so you have... A number of organizations, some of them based on Facebook, some, you know, some of them have actually you know, become you know, these, these not-for-profit organizations um, that are fleshing out uh, not just individuals, and, and they don't necessarily have to be famous individuals. You know, obviously, those are the ones that people, you know, uh, you know authors, like a, a successful book, for instance, is, is, is always going to put an author under, under scrutiny, and are they really legit? And I'm going to talk about how confusing that can be because there are different standards for that, right? But the, the first standard is, is, is if somebody's claiming to be Native, do they really have any Native ancestry? Do, I mean, do they even have the 23andMe stuff? 
And then the question is, are they um, considered a part, are they enrolled in, in, a, in a nation? And so do, do they have a nation that will support the claim that they're making that they are you know, Cherokee or Navajo or Mohawk or whatever else? I mean, so, so that, that ends up being the first question. And if you don't pass that test, then, then you may be able to claim that you have Native ancestry. But I, I don't think you can legitimately run around and create a career based on being a Native voice, necessarily. If you don't have a connection to a community, and, and whether it's a nation or community, however you want to define that tribe, if you don't have enough of a relationship to, to be, be recognized by your, the, your people, and if you can't substantiate your family relationships with people that are tied to those communities. And I realize that those lines can go all over because, because we, we, you know, I, I'm Mohawk and I live in Seneca territory. So I'm not enrolled in the Seneca Nation, um, but I recognize the Seneca Nation government and I recognize the Seneca people. I'm not necessarily a fan of all the government functions that exist. You know, frankly, I'm not a fan of some of them that are claimed to be Longhouse either because I don't think they do follow the Guyana Goa. But, but that's, that's another, another conversation. But here's the thing. We have a, a wide population in the United States of people claiming to be Native people for whatever reason. And maybe it's to reject their whiteness, I don't know, or their blackness, I, I, I don't know that either. Um, maybe it's because of some romantic claim, you know, because it's fashionable to be considered Native. And when I get involved in this mascot debate, invariably I'm going to have a handful of people say, well, I'm part Native and I'm fine with calling our school uh, students Indians. And you know what? And some of the, those people are legitimately Native people who don't have any connection to a native territory. And you know, look, there's another phrase that, uh, and, and I got criticized for, for even saying this, but there's, a, there's a, a term that we call apples. These people who are clearly native people, their skin matches, right? <laughs> you hold up the color chart. They clearly are native in appearance, but, they've never, but they have no connection to a native community or, or a native culture, you know, except for what they get out of a book. And, and the same as, as any white person doing it. Now, I'm, I know people like that. I'm, I'm friends, or I was friends. I'm related to people who are, who are like that. And, but I, I, you know, I always caution when somebody gets up and starts saying that you know, they're this or that their father was a chief or, or whatever. No, they really weren't. I mean, especially if, it, if I know. <laughs> so we have people who are Native people who invariably side with white people, you know, on, like on the mascot issue, for instance. And... And I don't think that necessarily gets you kicked out of the club, but I do think it's problematic and, it, and it's a better representation of who they identify with, that they identify really with the white community, more so than with the native population that are saying, no, this idea of appropriating our images, because here's the thing, when we, if we want to use the word pretendians or frauds or fakes, I mean, what would we call you know, an entire student body that claims to be Indians because that's their mascot. And look, that's what happens in, in these situations. We literally have people say, I'm an Indian for the rest of my life. I, was, I went to school at, at Cambridge and I played football and I'm gonna be an Indian to the day I die. No, you're not. Or I'm a Redskin or I'm a warrior, or I'm a brave. And it doesn't matter that the state just banned uh, the use of native mascots. I'm gonna go to my grave being a brave Redskin, you know, warrior chief, Indian, you know, and, 
and still never have taken the time to understand anything about Native history or Native culture. But I would argue that there are schools that are cranking out hundreds of, of pretendians every single, uh, every single year through, uh, through the use of mascots. And oftentimes, those people become a problem for us. Not intentionally, necessarily, but when I think about the people that we have to educate, the, the very lawyers we hire, the fact that we have to teach them a little bit about, about who we are so they can even accurately understand our perspective and, and how sometimes what they think is the best legal advice may not be the best cultural advice in terms of fighting this thing culturally, not just legally. You know, uh, any of these issues, you know, including gaming issues, but tax issues, all kinds of things. You know, th we have to educate the teachers. I mean, here, they're the teachers and we have to educate them because they're using a textbook that is, that is wrong, that you know, still claims, you know, Captain John Smith was, was the love interest of Pocahontas and that she saved his life. And, and none of that stuff is true. Or the happy little pilgrims and happy little Indian story that gets told, or the Christopher Columbus story. So we've got we've to we've educate the, the teachers. Why? Because that's what the way they were raised. They were raised thinking Native people are only exist as mascots. And whether it was their school that used that native mascot or a school in their, in their competitive uh, league, so to speak. So every non-native person is influenced by the existence of, the, of a Washington football team claiming to be Redskins or a, a Cleveland baseball team calling themselves Indians or an Atlanta baseball team calling themselves Braves or, or Blackhawks or Chiefs or whatever else. That is their frame of reference about what that comes to their mind when they hear when they hear a term associated with native people. They don't look at it as, as as a contemporary people. And then if they do, the challenge ends up being is can I be articulate and uh, and come across as somewhat educated and still maintain my native identity? Because if you got it in your mind that to be native means you have to be somehow backwards or primitive. I mean that's why I don't use words like tribe. I mean, let's, let's break that word down. Anytime you hear a news pundit use the word tribal or tribalism, they are not talking about civilized or, or sophisticated people. They usually mean somebody who, who's some, somewhat regressed. I mean, and so if they're talking about the tribal regions of Afghanistan, they aren't talking about you know, the most civilized or sophisticated people of Af Afghanistan. And I'm not saying that's, a, that's accurate, but I'm saying when they say it, they don't mean it as, as, as a compliment. And so when we get called tribes, does that word somehow mean something different when they apply it to us? No, it doesn't. It's the same damn word. Tribe, tribal, and tribalism. So, no, I, I reject, I reject th that kind of characterization. That's not a word that's in our language. We have words to describe us. Ngwungwe is the word that we have for, for a native person. But only for a native person who is connected to creation and connected to the, the land and to their, their past and their, and their future. That's what, it means a real human being. And by real means, you have to have those connections. So, I mean, so we have words in our own language and I, and I use them on the show sometimes, but this whole idea that there are individuals that pass themselves and not just individuals. You, there's been this rash of what, what some people are calling the, the 501c3s or the not-for-profit organizations that will form to replace the fact that they, or, or to substitute the fact that they can't, that they aren't state or federally recognized. So they, they create an organization 
and they might even call themselves the Northern Cherokee or, or, or some, you know, they may, may even fold in some native names. And, but they're, and I'm not saying that some of these people don't have some legitimate claim to being, um, asserting that they're, that they're native and that they have a cultural connection. But if you're using the federal government's IRS code to create an entity, that's still not legitimately, you know, making yourself a, a, a nation or, or a specific people. Because now you're being framed, you know, under, through the IRS code. So we have these organizations. We have, you know, we, we have many Native peoples who, again, have not gotten federal or state recognition. Some of, some of them will never get it. And some of them won't want it because of what it represents. That's, and that's why I speak the way I do about federal recognition and call it FedRec. I mean, we, we know how destructive it can be. This is something that was, they're trying to impose on, on the native people of Hawaii, the Kanaka Maoli. Oh, we're going to make you into tribes. First they said, we're going to federally recognize you as a tribe. And then they start to realize, oh, no, you're going to cut us up into bits and pieces, every single island. And, 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 so, and then we're going to be competing for resources. And it's just, it's just a real mess. So what happens with some of these people putting these, these lists together of individuals, they've actually started putting lists of entire peoples together. So, well, if you're, if you're calling yourself this, you're not, you're fake. If you're calling your, I mean, they, you know, the, the Tuscarora is an interesting case because I have a lot of friends down in, in the Carolinas who are Tuscarora. The, the Tuscaroras who, who moved and first stayed with the, uh, the Oneidas and then, uh, you know, uh, set up to, to be home in, um, in Seneca territory. So the Tuscaroras that we know up in the, the Niagara Falls region, they claim that they're the only legitimate Tuscaroras, that the, all the Tuscaroras left the Carolinas, that they all left. Every single one. Well, that's not entirely true. In fact, many of the, the people who were either Tuscarora or you know, some of the other nations around there, they, in the interest of trying to uh, survive the onslaught of being you know, li literally everything from, from murdering to even cannibalism um, against Native people, they adopted cr the Christian faith. And they said, well, you know, we're Christians. Like you, well, you're, you're Christians, but you're not like us. And many of those native people who were formerly Tuscarora and other nations started being referred to as those Indians living near the Lum you know, at the Lumberton River. And the name they got dubbed with was they were called Lumbies. Now the river it was called the Lumberton River because the the river was used for floating logs down. I mean, it's not even the name of it's not even the native name that, that they had for that river. <clears throat> so. There's, a, there's actually a place called Lumberton, North Carolina. Um, and then that whole area of Pembroke, uh, where the University of North Carolina at Pembroke is, there's a, a rather vast population of Native people who go by the, by the term Lumbee. And, and I, I think they may be federally recognized. I, I don't even know. But <laughs> on one of these lists, they said Lumbees are all fake. So it leaves many of us in a tough spot. And as I said at the very beginning, if somebody tells me they're native, I'm going to take them at face value at, uh, and, and you know, just ask them a few qu questions so I can understand our relationship a little bit. Like I said, where are you from? Who's your family? Maybe my, some of my family knows some of your family. You know, and maybe we're, maybe we're even somehow related, even though we may be from different places. I mean, so these are, these are the kind of questions that, that are kind of a traditional way of, of greeting people. But 
if somebody comes up to me and the first thing they do is they flash a card and they drop it on the table and say, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. I've got a, I've got a tribal ID. I had a lawyer do that one time. The first thing he did is, before he even spoke, he says, well, let me start this off by dropping, and he drops down his Cherokee ID. He goes, so that's who I am. And I'm thinking, no, that's a card. And most of these cards are, you know, there's even a program in the federal government called the um, uh, Enhanced Tribal Cards, which, <laughs> which includes RFID chips and, uh, you know, barcodes and everything else. And they're literally federal, federal IDs that we get to put our names on. I mean, even Seneca Nation did one. Hardly anybody got one because nobody, most people rejected this notion. And they also want you to put on that card a flag of, the, of either Canada or the United States. So you, you essentially got to declare which nation you are a citizen of with your tribal ID. And no, your nation is not the one of the ones you get to choose. So, but anyway, so, you know, the, a lot of people are, are card-carrying Indians. And I don't criticize people, that, but that's not what defines you. And... And neither does federal recognition. That's not what defines you. What defines you is your community. So, so this is where it, 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 gets, it gets really tough because we all also get dragged into American and Canadian politics. You know, are you a liberal? Are you a conservative? Do you support Justin Trudeau or Stephen Harper? That was the battle that was raging and it'll rage again. And, you know, down here, it's are you Trump or are you Biden? Are you, you know, this or are you that? And many of us just avoid the fray. Look, we, we'll weigh in about, you know, the wrongs of, of, of each you know, candidate, so to speak. I mean, I, I'm openly critical of, of the Democratic governor of the state of New York, Kathy Hochul. I think she's terrible. I think she's the worst governor in, that I've uh, had to experience in my lifetime. But I'm not a fan of Joe Biden, and I'm certainly not a fan of, of Donald Trump. In fact, the systems are so broken that it's going to continue to deteriorate. I mean, look, you know, Trump became president by, and, and lost a popular vote. And he lost a popular vote again and, and lost the election. But if they could have switched around or, or gotten, you know, 10,000 votes here and another 10,000, it didn't matter that he lost by millions of votes. A certain amount of votes in the right place, and, and, and he'd have been the president again. And he may, he's probably going to get the Republican nomination, and he might beat, you know, somebody like Joe Biden, who is not real popular. So who the hell knows? But I'm not going to get involved in that process because I'm not an American. I'm not a U.S. citizen. I'm not a Canadian citizen. But we get dragged into this, into these, these battles, and it's not just the political battles and the political wars. We get dragged into the culture wars. I see Native people weighing in on the Bud Light can. I don't even want to talk about the Bud Light can. You know, I, I, look, how I view people is not going to be putting them in a box that I, where I can discriminate against them, whether it's LGTB, you know, uh, two-spirit issues, or, or, you know, or whether it's the color of their skin or their gender or their politics. Unless that politics makes you a racist, and Democrats can be racist too, so this is where the challenge is. I mean, and then you know, look, the mascot issue becomes a culture war. It becomes a right and left thing. How does that become a right and left thing? But it does. So this is the challenge that we have. So what happens is we have relationships with people and people who represent themselves as as being native and. And look, I'm going to embrace anybody who, who wants to talk about these issues. But then you run the risk of, of alienating 
or as uh, you know, or, or creating because of a relationship that you somehow, in order to have a relationship with this person or this group, you've got to alienate that group, and that's that may not be the our plan, that may not be the intentions, but that's what happens. So as I do my show, I look, I've had guests on my show that some people today will call, you know, should be on one of these lists. My co-host uh, on this program, uh, Regan. She got caught up in she she never claimed to be a federally recognized native person. But she got caught into this stuff. And and, and frankly, my co-host before that was wary of that and 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 backed off. So look, I'm gonna judge somebody for the work that they do in the communities that they reach out to and that they that they work with. And am I gonna get duped? And did I get duped? I don't know that I got duped. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I did. But will uh, if, if you have a willingness to engage people without having to go through the rigors of, a, of, of an interrogation, um, look, I don't know that I would pass the, the rigors of an interrogation. I'm not a card-carrying Mohawk. My, my, my relationship is through the Longhouse in Gunawaga and Akwesasne. I'm not a card-carrying. I don't carry a band card. I don't carry a, you know, a, a, tribal, you know, a tribal ID card. Um, and I don't claim to be a part of a U.S. federally recognized tribe. I mean, in fact, I got asked to speak at an event at the uh, uh, Arizona State University, and it was uh, it was put on partially by um, by some of the, fo- the the feds who were involved in the recognition process or the or the or the acknowledgement process. In fact, it was an attorney who um, who does a lot of work in Washington. She she invited me, and I said, you know, I don't have a real good. Uh, you know, I don't have a good feeling about federal recognition. Well, that's how we wanted you to speak. I got a standing ovation when I spoke. And I spoke up decrying and criticizing the whole process and taking a stand that, that I refuse to be a part of a federally recognized tribe. And, and it's not to condemn, because many, most people never asked for it in the first place. And like I said, the Seneca Nation never asked for it in the first place. But... Um, but, but I, so I spoke up and I, I, like I said, I got multiple standing ovations for, for, the, for the stuff that I said. But, and then everybody went right back to work. You know, in fact, it was called um, Who Decides You're Real? That was the name of the, the conference, essentially. The Federal Recognition, Who Decides You're Real? And, and that's the question that's got to be asked even in this, um, this hunt for pretendians. Who decides it? And what's it based on? Is it only going to be based on federal recognition or state recognition? Is it only going to be based on somebody's ability to produce a car? Because I failed that test. But I live in a Native community. I come, my family comes from a Native community. I've lived in Native communities. I've been involved in Native issues my whole life. You know, so, and I'm not saying this to, to dissuade anybody from challenging me. Because there, there are plenty of people, you know, are, is he really a warrior? I don't know. I've never seen him do anything. I don't think. Well, trust me. I've, uh, I paid my dues. And I, I won't get into that too much this time, but, uh, uh, and, and look, and I'm closely associated, associated with the most recognizable native activists in, you know, certainly out of my area, but in, in the country. And so, but I also know that there are people who did really good work who got called out in this thing. But I also know, and, and again, let me flip the page a little bit. I also know that there are people who are who are clearly of native ancestry and they have tribal enrollment cards and they are part of a federally recognized tribe who sell our people out. I'm sorry, but they do. And I'm not just talking about 
leaders. I, mean, I just mean there are people who, who've put much more loyalty and alignment to the Democratic Party or maybe the Republican Party or to their church or to, you know, to other things that are not ours. So they have become so wrapped up in the colonial institutions, including religion, but government, your state, you know, all the politics, all of it. And I got to tell you, I'm, I'm probably more critical of those folks than because they have all the credentials. And in fact, they may have gone to school on, you know, uh, on, with funding because of being Native. And, and their education just further alienates them from Native people. And I'm not saying it's got to be that way, but it, but it does happen to be that way. Look, I'm articulate, but I'm, I don't have a PhD or a master's degree. I went to college some. <laughs> but, but my education came from living the life that I lived. And being selective about what I read and what I read critically versus what I read because I thought the, the, the reading material had value. So this is, this is a tough one because I know a lot of people have jumped on to this. Um, and, you know, and I know some people called it a witch hunt. And I don't, I don't want to go that far because there's, there's legitimate reasons for calling people out who are frauds. But I also think there are Native people who are frauds who are, who are native people and, and I can't take their Indian card away. You know what I'm saying? But I also look at, as I said, this mascot issue where we see schools that are cranking out graduating class after graduating class or graduating class or, or, or alumni, even if they didn't graduate, who will take their native identity to the grave. And if they could, if they can find any semblance through a 23andMe or Ancestry.com or anybody else who's, who does that kind of stuff, that, that they can take that mascot identity they've taken now and they can throw a couple of tenths of 1% of DNA into it. The next thing you know, these guys are flying around, you know, claiming to be Native people. And, and we've seen it. I mean, The Daily Show did a great piece on it over, because of the, the Washington Redskins issue. And, and, but we've seen it over and over again. And, and I do have a real problem with somebody who writes a book and in their own bio lists all of these native credentials and turns out that they're all false or they're all illegitimate. And then they sell, you know, maybe they don't sell 10 million books, but, but they're still selling books. There are a lot of native people who will never be published. I might be one of them. And of course, I've got to write before I can think about getting published. But this is, you know, and this is the challenge, right? And look, and I don't, I'm not trying to be the first or the last word on any, any subject, native or otherwise. I want to be a part of a conversation. And, and you know, even doing this, even doing this, you know, as a, a radio show, uh, as a podcast, as the videos that I do, I'm not doing it so I can slam the door for anybody else to do it. I encourage other people to do it. I encourage anybody to take anything that they get from my show and use it in your own understanding of certain issues. Let me help you with your argument. Or if you don't agree with me, then sound off and let me know what, what, what part you don't agree with. And I'm not condemning somebody for being a Christian. I'm not condemning somebody for, for living off territory. 
I'm not condemning people for, for getting involved in, in the political process, the, out, the white man's political process. And it's still white man's political process. But when you do that, when you, when you take that job, I mean, that's why we have the two-row wampum, right? And it, and it says you, you, don't, you don't travel with a foot in each canoe. And, and I'm saying you make a choice. And I'm not saying that, that we have to, you know, again, revoke your, your status or anything like that. But when you become more committed, and there's some really high-profile individuals who, frankly, boast about their Democratic Party bona fides from Jimmy Carter on up, Congressional Medal of Honor winners. And I'm not, you know, I'm, obviously I have somebody specifically in mind. But they are so involved in the political process and they're so aligned with the Democratic Party that you can't even, you can't even criticize a Democrat. And some of their language is, is, is antithetical to, to what we talk. I mean, I, I've literally had the conversation where this person said, no, genocide never happened to Native people. Yeah, there's no American Holocaust. The Holocaust is a Jewish thing. And only they have a right to use that word. I mean, this is the conversation I've had. So who is that person working for? Even though they have this long history of credentials, native credentials, I just question where did they go? And, and there are other, you know, iconic individuals, guys who have written books, you know, people who are still recognized today as the epitome of, of the native face and the native voice. But they don't advocate for native issues. They, they are too complicit with, with what the outside, I mean, I, I remember Oran Lyons telling Native people to vote in the national elections a few years ago. He went to the, I think, the National Congress of the American Indians, some event out there, and he was telling our people to vote in their elections. Then turn around and saying, well, we're Onondaga, we don't vote. Well, what do you tell everybody else to for? So, so when, when I have a conversation about things like um, pretendians, apples, frauds, whatever you want to call it, you know, it's, it's a mixed bag. I don't do a whole lot of shows on this, and I'm, and I'm not going to stand up here and out somebody and call them a fraud. And, and look, and I, and I'm, I wasn't trying to pick on Oren Lyons specifically. You know, I, I know a lot of people. He's, he's a very popular person. You know, I, I got into a bit of an issue over in the mascot issue when another popular Native person, a guy by the name of Tommy Porter, who, who got duped into signing a paper get, trying to give a school permission to call themselves Braves, and he had no authority to do so. And I'm not trying to, you know, to bash or, you know, you know, him specifically, but what he did was wrong. And frankly, when Oren went to NCAI and told people to vote, I think that was the wrong thing, coming from, especially coming from somebody who claims that the, the sovereignty of Onondaga Nation is intact and they don't vote in the, in, in the white man's elections. So, I mean, the, but those, those individuals we can take on, right? But there is still a problem with those frauds who, who you know, enter um, some public space, whether it's you know, through, through the media, through, um, you, know, you know, whether it's social media or otherwise, whether it's because they, they authored a book or because they, they're musicians or they're, you know, I don't know, even politicians. You know, look, if you're going to run and try to use your nativeness as some, um, you know, platform issue or, or something that's going to, I don't know how it's going to get you more votes because we don't represent a large enough population in any place hardly. 
to swing an election. And frankly, <laughs> if you look at Native people and how we may be leaning, you know, right or left, conservative or Republican, I think it's a pretty mixed bag. I mean, I, I look at some, even the folks with the Bud Light can. I've seen Native people, that, you know, condemning the fact that uh, that Bud Light had the had the nerve to to issue a can that you know somehow was promoting uh, the fight for LGBT rights. I mean, my biggest problem is is the Bud Light cans being thrown on the side of the road. That's my biggest issue, and I don't care what's on the can. It says Bud Light on it. That's all I know. I don't care what kind of artwork's on it. But um, no, I I look at where Native people get sucked into the culture wars and the political wars, and it's pretty evenly divided. There are a few things that we pretty we stand pretty strong on and that we're pretty united in. You know, I think most Native territories have clearly openly condemned the uh, the Native mascot issue. And, and that's why today New York State has a ban that's going to become completely finalized by next week. Uh, but... Look, there there are states all over the uh, all, all over the the United States that I mean, in New York, New York had over 130 schools still today that haven't fully gotten rid of it. Many have, have begun the process since the ban was issued in November, but there are you know there are states all over the United States that have sometimes 100 or more um, native mascots in their in these schools. Elementary schools. I got a call from an elementary school in Illinois, Utica, Illinois. I didn't know there was a Utica, Illinois. Um, and they, I mean, it's an elementary school and they're called the, the, um, uh, was it, was it the Redskins or the Warriors? I can't even remember now. I, oh, I think it was the Warriors. I don't know. I, it might've been the Redskins. I don't remember it anymore. There's, there, it, it all gets so twisted. And that's a derogatory term. I mean, even the white man's dictionary calls it a slur. So why would a, an elementary school promote such a thing? And they've done it for years. Now, I think it's an easier lift to, to, to change an elementary school because you don't have the adult population that is loyal to the elementary school logo as much as they are to their high school logos and their names and their nicknames, their, their mascots. And that's where we have a problem. We, you know, look, when I go into a, into a town, and when I went to my, own, my old high school, it was the 40, 50, 60-year-olds that, uh, that were the most you know, vitriolic about it. I mean, yeah, there, some of the recent grads were still, you know, still pretty strong-willed about it. But you're talking about decades and decades of, of people, you know, like I said, up to their 60s and 70s even, still claiming that that identity is theirs and, and who the hell are these Native people to take it from them? So my point in all of this is that the issue with, with fraudulent representation uh, of, of Native people is a problem. But I also think some of the rooting it out is a problem because uh, there is the proverbial baby being thrown out with the bathwater in some of these things. And, and I'm, I'm sorry, I, I have more of an open mind about some of the non-federally and non-state recognized uh, peoples because you know, I have a problem with the recognition in the first place. But I, I find it hard to believe that when somebody says, Every Native person was wiped out. If you have people who are still living there, who are making the claim that, that their family never left, then I can't argue with that. So whether it's in you know, New York or whether it's in the Carolinas or, or whether, wherever it is. And, and let's be honest here. Many Native people have been moved from their ancestral lands. 
So if you're going to say the only federally recognized people are the ones in Oklahoma who were displaced and sent there, and the assumption is that they all went, let's be clear here. There was an effort to, to remove all of us from New York State. The Seneca Nation was, uh, was really pushed to accept land. I think it was going to be in Nebraska, I think, um, or Kansas. It might have been Kansas. Kansas, I guess. And the Senecas specifically asked, well, what would the status of that land be? And they said, well, it would be yours. They didn't say it would be, it would be trust land or you'd be allowed to live there. They said, no, it would be yours. And you'd, you'd hold it and you'd own it just like you own the land in, um, in your ancestral land. And it'll never become a state. Well, that, they all became states. So that was a lie. But I, it, you know, certain groups actually received money and then had to scramble to use that money to buy their land back, like the Tonawandas. And they, they, had, to, they had to fight um, the, the pressure to remove them. And they, and they stayed. So the Tonawanda Senecas still, still live in their ancestral lands. All of our lands have been diminished. But some Senecas, and in fact, there's a nation called the Seneca Cayugas, or Cayuga Senecas, I don't know, um, that, that, were, uh, that took money and left. So not everybody was rooted out of their homelands. And, and pretty much the Seneca Nation you know, st stood strong. Look, most Mohawk people got displaced from their ancestral homelands. I mean, you, we, have, we have native territories, several of them, mostly on the Canadian side. But that area was called the Mohawk Valley. Um, the only person who's still hanging in there, as far as I know, is, is Tommy Porter. And, and I, from what I understand, his place is abandoned. So all of these territories that were ours and all these little white villages that exist in these communities that want to call themselves Indians, Redskins, Warriors, Chiefs, Braves, whatever, they don't even begin to understand where we went or why we went. They want to take a, tell a happy tale. They'll, they'll tell some, some nice story about the last chief who left or something like that and, and never give an explanation on why he would do that or why, you know, not just he, but what about, what about the women? And, you know, the, 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 the happy story would be to say that we all became Americans. In fact, that was the effort. That's what assimilation and indoctrination was all about. Jefferson had that as part of one of his plans, but certainly the, the residential school, that was all about making us disappear without necessarily killing us, although many, many, many children died in those residential schools. This was about absorbing us and, and keeping us in a really low-level place. You know, you know, the women would be trained to be housemaids, and the men might be trained for the military or for you know, farm, you know, field farm work, that kind of thing. There was no real effort to, to educate Native people to the highest positions of, uh, of white society. I mean, some got put on display that way, but that's another story. So, you know, I bring this up because it's a, it's a, it's a tough subject, and, and it's one that I don't have a firm stance on, and even though many people that I know and, and like do have a firmer stance on it. So, um, but, so that's, that's my program, and that's how I feel about pretendians and, and native frauds the fakes um it's 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 a mixed bag so i want to thank you for listening again this is resistance radio i am john kane and we'll see you next time <laughs>